Welcome to the National Democratic Institute's Changing the Face of Politics podcast series. In these candid conversations recorded from home, politically active women from around the globe interview each other about the male-dominated world of politics. They're the best examples of why we need to move faster to reach political parity between men and women before the middle of the next century and change the face of politics. In this episode, climate activist Vanessa Nakate interviews former president of Chile and UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet, about her experience of political leadership and her path to becoming the first ever female president of Chile. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the episode of Changing the Face of Politics podcast series. My name is Vanessa Nakate, and I am a climate activist from Uganda. My guest today is President Michelle Bachelet. Michelle Bachelet was the first ever woman president of Chile, serving in office from 2006 to 2010, and again from 2014 to 2018. She currently serves as the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. I am looking forward to this conversation because I have so much to learn from her and you too have a lot to learn from her. Welcome, President Michelle Bachelet. Thank you, Vanessa. Happy to be here with you, being able to have a wonderful conversation in order to change the face of politics and include much more women on it because it will be a better politics, I'm sure. Exactly. I know that a country or an economy cannot fail with women as leaders. This year, we celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Beijing Conference and Platform for Action. What do you think has changed for women in political leadership and decision-making in the last 25 years? And what has stubbornly stayed the same? Well, at the time of the conference, globally only 10% of the members of uh, legislative bodies and a lower percentage of ministerial positions were held by women. If we look at it 25 years after, we are nearly doubled because now we have uh, 20, almost 25%, 24.9% of world parliamentarians are female. and. Um, uh, 21.2% of all ministerial posts are held by women. But however, if we don't accelerate the pace and we maintain the current pace, it will take another 95 years to close the gender gap in political representation. But you asked me as well, what has been, what has stayed the same? Maybe not exactly the same because some little things have changed, but what remains hard to change are the deep-rooted beliefs about women's role and characteristics. The idea that we women are not suited to rule, that we are too emotional, uh, and that do not, we don't have the attributes that are considered necessary for leadership, such as strength and decisiveness. 
but I have to tell you, not only on my own experience and many other women that I've met, but we've come closer to now, the pandemic has also shown that this is false because women have it all it takes and more to lead in a fantastic way. So lovely to hear those remarkable answers that you've given. I personally think that now is the time for the public and all the people to move away from comments that try to portray women as the weak people in politics. And as you've stated, we have seen the power of women leadership during this COVID-19 pandemic. I was speaking to a friend who clearly explained how women have showed so much leadership in this period, and we need to continue exalting that. I'm a young woman, and I believe there are millions of young women who look up to you. But why is having more women and girls engaged in politics important? And what impact of their engagements have you seen? The first thing that uh, I want to say is that, first of all, I believe politics, good politics, should represent the interests and concerns of all humanity. Men, women, old people, young people, children, uh, all different, all the diversity of our planet. And in order to do that, you need that representation also at the places where you're taking decisions, decisions that impact people's life. And politics is about that. It's about improving, it should be at least, at least about improving people's life, improving people's well-being. Uh, and so I believe that politics without women is like playing a football game only with half of the team, you know? How are you going to win the game if you don't have everyone on board? Bringing their strength, their commitment, their stamina, and, and, and their creativity. So I believe that, I have to say, there's two things I would like to differentiate. Because it's not that women have not been involved in politics in the history of the world. If you look at the South African women, they were there against apartheid. If you look at the civil movements in, 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 in the US for the uh, rights of the Afro-American, Rosa Sparks was one of the women who started with the movement and really was able to be at the forefront of movement of social change. Uh, and when you see the protests against religious fundamentalism in Sudan, where women there, hmm? and then you see now what's going up in Belarus, I mean, not only there was a candidate, female candidate against the president, but uh, you see lots of women leading this social protest in the streets. So I would say, and I could go with much more examples. One thing though is that often, even though women are on the front lines to fight for change, they are later excluded from the formal circles of power or they're not included in the books, history books that are usually written by men. So, but anyway, having said that, of course, we need much more women involved in politics uh, because history shows the benefit of women in position of authority. Women tend to resolve national crises without necessarily resorting um, to violence. They can allocate budget in very sensible and important issues. 
because women tend to be more embedded in the social tissue with the community uh, in a more horizontal way of, the, of, of relating to others. So I think that the country needs more women in decision-making position, politics and others, but also politics needs more women. And there is this old saying that many people said to me, said, felt, I used it in a speech a long time ago and people thought I created it. No, I did not. I don't want to give the credit for myself, but I do believe in that. It says that when a woman comes into politics, women changes. When many women comes into politics, politics changes. For, for the best, I mean, for the good. Huh? So I think we need more women because I think on one hand, we need the experience that is different because in the world, still in the majority of the world, women's experience is different. There is discrimination. There are different situations. And we also have our own priorities, concerns, etc. Having said that, it's not good to generalize. Not every woman is the same as others, no? But, uh, but, oh, but women, we try to be more inclusive. I mean, many women are very competitive and they exclude, but the majority of us, because we have been living for many years in certain levels of not complete inclusion, we tend to include. And when you include, you do much better because you include other people, not only women, other people who have needs. And then whatever comes from your ideas and your policies will be much more comprehensive, much more linked to what really people want and so on. That doesn't mean that there are women in politics that have not been my idols. Yes, there are women in politics who have been not good or nasty. But I would say my experience with the majority of women as they tend to build alliances because they, they understand that they are seeing and look at it with a double lens, if I may say. Is she going to make a mistake? Is she going to be weak? And the kind of things that nobody thinks of men they will also talk about, think about women in politics. So yes, girl, we need much more girls and women in politics. What motivated you to get involved politically? Because there are quite a number of young people who would love to know what really inspired you to join politics as a woman. Well, I, I, I think that it is family in the sense that I grew up with committing to certain ideals and certain values. The ideals of justice, of dignity, of human rights, my whole life. My parents teach me since I was a child, we are all the same. I mean, we in the temp, not, we're all different, but they meant to say, uh, we all deserve same rights, same opportunities. And, and, we, and we need to respect everyone. That, that was how I was raised. And on the other hand, I always joke and saying that responsibility was in my milk bottle because I always feel that I have to do something about it. It's not, I mean, why I came into politics and not a philosopher? <laughs> because of course I want to think about things. I have to understand processes, but I want to do something about it. I want to, to, to not only speak and have good speeches, but actions action that can really change people's lives. I, I think in a society you need everything. You need philosopher, you need um, people who, who speeches, speaks well, but you also need people who really makes reality those, those ideals and those uh, dreams. So I would say, of course, it came an age when at school, 
I started always organizing everything. I mean, I was not from a political party, but if there was a need to organize something, I was there proposing ideas. And then, of course, I ended make organizing and so on. I was always the president of the class, of the class, because I wanted to organize. I mean, for me at that time, when I was younger, it was not about politics. It was about doing things, organizing things, doing things for the best for the people. But then, so political activism was, like I say, a natural resort, result uh, for greater equality and dignity for all. So in that sense, I did have a extraordinary role model in my family. They were not politicians, but they were all insisting on, on, on caring for the people and trying to do the best for the people, and particularly for the most vulnerable. So I think all the events throughout my life strengthened my conviction, my conviction and my firm determination to do good, if I may say. Uh, I'm not naive, but I also, but I like to define myself as a strategic optimist because I believe that doing good is possible. I believe that with commitment, openness, and dialogue, it is possible to move societies to support reforms that can guarantee greater social justice. And I think it's this awareness that continues motivates me to be active, I'm, I'm not young anymore, to be active and, and caring and, and looking always at which are the kinds of intervention solutions that could really make the difference and that could really work and that could really make people's life improve. So, um, of course, I decided to study medicine. I'm a medical doctor, I'm a pediatrician, and that helps you to, to understand sort of more comprehensive way to try to understand not only health as a lack of disease, but also as the social, social economic, and, and, and physical, and health, and even environmental uh, characteristic and conditions that means that some person or some community can be healthy or not. So it also helped me to have a more wide, open view that helped in politics to understand all those different aspects to see what are the best solutions. And finally, being a doctor, for me, it was very important when I made all kinds of decisions, is to be sure that they were also the best technical. I mean, not to do decisions only because that will bring you more votes, but that you know that that will be bad at the end. But because I had this sort of scientist background, I always tried to ensure that the decisions we were taking or that I was proposing would really be for the better. Huh? Even if they were not very popular, huh? because sometimes certain decisions might not be understood by the people. You have to explicate and communicate and so on. But sometimes there's a lot of prejudices and so on. But I thought, no, we have to do the things that need to be done, even though sometimes it can make you lose some uh, popular uh, uh, support, if I may say. But many other things were really very, very supportive because people understood how important those things were. Well, from, from everything that you've said, I've really picked uh, three main things. And uh, the first one being organizing, uh, which I find really, really important. And then the next one being education, meaning that education, uh, plays a part in shaping um, the best leaders for the future, the best leaders for, for our planet, 
you talked about how family in a way helped pushing you in organizing how do gender equality and democracy work in your mind well completely together it couldn't be a full complete democracy if there's no gender equality because even though democracy today i think we need to think a little bit more on that because I feel when you have seen so many people on the streets last year, 80 countries and still now, it's because people are not happy with the way that the political systems are, are acting because democracy is not delivering what people are expecting from them. But having said that, I'm still convinced that democracy is the best, it's not perfect, but it's the best political regime that we have. And we cannot have democracy without gender equality. We cannot hope to achieve the best for the planet if we exclude women from solutions and from decisions. Uh, this is true in every single global issue that we can face. I mean, if we are talking about the pandemic, climate change, conflict, the mass movement of people, poverty, inequality, populism, any issue that we discuss, women are essential. Are essential because we are at least 50% of the planet because women are in charge of many things every day, they, they do it. So they can also teach us which are good ways of doing things. Even they could be women without so much education sometimes, but they have their, their ancestral knowledges that they can provide us with a lot of interesting solutions in an environment that's so. Huh? Um, and it's also true in everywhere. I mean, the gender equality and democracy, it's on workplace and offices, at governmental and local councils, but also true in families, hmm? that to have like democracy at the house, if I may say as well. Eh? So I think that finding the best solution, the best leadership, the best way uh, to deliver equality, economic prosperity, and all human rights means um, having, as I said before, because I usually, in my country, where I try to convince people, because in my country they love football, I used to uh, a lot this thing as, are you going to be able to gain, win the game with half of the player? No, you're not. The same for the country. You need everyone to be involved in the different levels, in the decision-making, at different levels, at the territory, with local participation, uh, at the council, at a level, at the provincial level, at the regional level, and of course at the national level. And having been so convinced of that, that in my first government, I did, I think, the first paritarian government in the history, 50 and 50%. And it was great. And it's also very important because we were talking before why women should get involved in politics. What can make them think this is interesting? It can be, of course, from rationale, for understanding that we have our opinion, have our voices, and we want to be heard, and we want to be not only heard, we have to, we want to be taken into consideration on the decisions, and we want to be in the decision making as well. Uh, so that's that's uh, that's real, really important. But um, but I remember also when I was uh, the executive director of UN Women that we had a panel and, and, and with young women, and, and and one of them said, look. I don't want to be invited to the table of discussion. I won't be invited to the decision of the shape of the table <laughs> to discussion and who is going to be sitting at the table. And I think that's right. I mean, we need more women participating, giving uh, their the, 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 the experiences, their opinions, and, but also not as guests, 
but as full participants. And, and I think otherwise, democracy will not be uh, the one we want, because we want democracy not only as a system that people through a votation elect somebody. For me, democracy is much more than that. It's not only about the election day. For me, democracy is how people participate in decision-making every day, in every decision that is important and that will impact their life. It's not that we're going to be all days in a national assembly of all the population. It's not that. But that we people through different levels, through different moments, through different uh, instances, can be participating, can be listened, can be considered, because I'm also convinced that that makes best policies. And this is good, that this is for men and women the same, huh? but for women in particular, because usually they're left behind and they're excluded of this kind of discussions. But I'm sure, I'm so convinced that policies are much better when they're really rooted in the real situation of the people. But I always used to say, people should not adapt to policies. Policies should be done adapted to people because you cannot, in your capital, define in an office a policy that will be applied to people who will be in the rural area, who maybe don't have a, a good uh, a good uh, path, they don't have water, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And this is so clear. We see it with COVID now. One of the biggest messages: clean, wash your hands. And how many millions of people don't have clean water? So you have to think with the reality. And I think that's why it's so important to be in touch with the reality, first of all, to be in touch with the grassroots organization. And in grassroots organization, there's plenty of women, plenty. And so we need also to support all those organizations so they can really continue doing their job in the best possible way. I completely agree with you. and. Uh... There is no democracy without gender equality and we need full embrace of diversity and uh, full representation of women in this conversation. I have heard that politics is not a bed of roses. What challenges have you faced as a woman in political leadership? Well, I face all the challenges that all women face. <laughs> <laughs> People believing that maybe I was not the person. But you know, let me share with you, Vanessa, an interesting experience. There was this president who appointed me minister, first of all, of health. And it was a very difficult job. I did it as better as possible. But nobody thought of me as a possible candidate for the presidency. But I have done in the past, because I come from a military family, my father died in prison while in the dictatorship of Pinochet and so on. So um, I thought I needed to understand better the militaries, why they have done the coup d'etat and so on. So I decided to study being a doctor at the same time, certain military studies. So I was prepared when my, when my candidate as president and he was elected, I prepared with other colleagues um, the defense program for him and so on. So he appointed me Minister of Health but then, after two years, he appointed me Minister of Defense. And why I'm telling you this? Because I think that women in politics need to speak about women's rights, but we need to talk about international policy, economic policy, defense policy. Sometimes I fear that women only speak about women's issues, and they're not taken seriously by others. And I remember in my party, when I was, in, I was a member of the Congress of the party, 
So my, the vice minister for women will start, start speaking about women, 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 women. And the guys who were sitting next to me, I said, oh, here she comes again. And they started sort of looking at the cell phones and so on. So because we women have opinions on everything, on environmental issues like you that are environment activists, on many things. And, and, and that one of the things that I, I understood when I was, so there was this um, flooding in my, so I wanted to, and we asked the, the conscription to go to help cleaning the, the houses, the streets. So I went to see how they were working. This is a, it's a funny story, but I'm telling you because to try to understand what makes people look at women in a different way. So they said, you cannot go by car because the car is too, I mean, there's too much water. So you have to go in a Mowat. Mowat is like a tank, but with, with wheels. So there I was, and I had my, I was with, not a uniform, but something like that, because it was raining, on a tank outside with some with other militaries. And this was this picture appear in all the newspapers. And suddenly, people were starting to think, oh, she can do it with the militaries. She can manage with the militaries. And, and nothing is happening. We're not in war. Uh, the country is not in danger. So she can. What I mean to say is that if women also need to, not to show, unfortunately to show, because it's not taken for granted, huh, that we are strong. But there are some symbolism that is also important. It can be, I, I, this has happened to me, but it, in other cases, it can be a strong speech, a strong uh, action, a strong intervention. It doesn't need to have a more work. But it was funny because afterwards, many friends of mine were telling me who wanted to be candidate, can you lend me that, car, that, that, that thing, please? <laughs> no, but what I mean to say is that I think people need to see women in all kinds of issues, having an opinion. Uh, giving uh, good ideas in all kinds of issues. And, and I think that's one of the challenges. Um, but, uh, but women has a lot of obstacles and, and they face a lot of obstacles in the journey of the political leadership. For example, so that's why I do believe that affirmative action is required. That's what I do believe that quotas are required when you want to go into parliament or, or council. Uh, because when you, because this is a cute discussion with some people who don't believe in quota. And they say, why are you going to do that? You have to be elected because you're good. And I said to them, yeah, but men too. Why do you don't ask yourself the same question when it's a man? And you think that he's entitled to win the election. Well, so that's because if we are treated the same, we're going to be excluded. Because it's true that if you give the same to somebody who's here and somebody who is 500 meters below, behind, it will never come here. And when, we, we, when he comes here, the other person will be here. So that's why in my second presidential mandate, we introduced a quota for 40% of all candidates to be women. I really wanted 40% of the elected, but my coalition did not support it. <laughs> so that led to an increase in the, in the representation of the House and the Senate. And I'm proud of that. But let me tell you three other things that I think are important. What can work? Paritarian governments, I mean, to insist on parity because people need to see women in, in, in important positions. Because I'm sure they're going to do it well, but usually they don't give them the opportunity. And this is so interesting because when I was Minister of Health and I would go to a, a health facility 
little girls around, they would tell me, ah, Madam Minister, when I'm big, grown up, I want to be a doctor. And when I was a president, they, they would come and say, oh, when I'm growing up, I'm going to be a president like you. Because it's like role models. You show role models and they see, okay, it, it is possible. It is possible. And I, I, and I can aspire to that. When I was young, I would have never think of being a president of the republic. It was not in my, what I saw. So that's one thing, good role models, mentoring. If they are good politicians, women politicians, mentor younger ones, help them because politics is hard. It's not easy and it's getting pretty nasty many times. So many people sometimes don't go, don't want to go over that bad situations where they're not well treated, etc. And the other is incentive to parties to include more women, uh, candidates and so on. There can be different incentives. Some countries use financial incentives, some other use other kind of incentives. And uh, in my country, um, we, we, we did the quota, but also we said that parties who did not include the 40% of uh, women, female candidates could not inscribe the list. They have to get out of the election. And second, if they chose, if more women were elected, they would receive an economic incentive, and that really helped. And the other one is programs of education, political education in the parties for younger women and for women, so they feel better prepared because sometimes we women want to do things so well that many times women don't feel completely prepared. They say, no, 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 maybe there's something that's better than me and so on. So, so we need to support all the women who want to. And the last thing, but more difficult, is for women when they have children. Because societies punish women, culturally speaking, socially speaking, because when a man goes into politics and has children, nobody will tell him, you are abandoning your children. When a woman goes to politics and has children, they will tell you that. I was divorced, so when I was interviewed by a journalist, female journalist, she said to me, you don't have a husband, no. How are you going to, how are you be able to be a president? How are you going to cope with the problems? And I said, uh, as I've always done it, <laughs> and with friends and with colleagues and other people. So there's so much prejudice that, but that means that some people, some women sometimes get a little bit insecure and scared. So how we can also provide the enabling conditions, much more kindergarten, much more it depends on, on the country, on the possibilities, a women's group who can support the other women. I think that is really important. Solidarity among women as well. Thank you so much, uh, Madam President. I have really learned a lot from you in regards to the last points that you've given. Um, I've never been someone who is so directly involved in politics, but uh, some of the issues that I've picked from everything that you've said is the issue of uh, having more women in important positions because these younger women the younger girls those in schools they need role models they need people like you to motivate them to make them think that yes i can be a president of a country one day and then you also talked about mentoring i believe it's very important for those young people, for the young women to be educated, to be taught about politics, because you may have a passion for politics, but then mentoring does a very important job to keep you pushing towards your goals. And you talked about education, 
and then you talked about solidarity. So in a society that has so much uh, negativity towards women leadership, we need some of these things to move forward so that we can have the representation of women that we need in political leadership. So I would like to thank you very much, Madam President, for joining us in this episode. There was a lot to learn from you, and you were really, really inspiring. Thank you very much, and good luck with the work that you're doing. Thank you, Vanessa. Uh, and good luck in your endeavors as well, and in, uh, on, on all this initiative of uh, changing policies for the better. Uh, and we are sure that that means women. Bye-bye, all the best. And uh, I hope we see us in some minute in presence after all this COVID situation. <laughs> yes, definitely. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Changing the Face of Politics podcast series. To learn more about the series and NDI's initiative, please go to NDI's website at ndi.org.